42. And we're live. 42. Doc, you know, I can't count that high. 42 is the answer. You know, I, it's the answer to the, the universe. Question? But I mean, you know, don't ask me what comes before or after it. But uh, you do anyway, not let's pretend we know what we're doing. Let's pretend we know what we're doing, Doc. We're professionals. We've done this before. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. A place where pineapple on pizza is heresy, and Doc is wrong. So without yeah, further ado... Life. Ouch, you had to go there, really? You wow, went after my pineapple! Well, we can talk about what a, a certain news article said pineapples meant, but that's not a family-friendly uh, topic, so we will move on. Instead, we will talk to Mr. Blaze Ward. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers, please? Good evening, afternoon, day, whatever it is. I'm Blaze Ward, full-time sci-fi writer out of Seattle. Um, retired, crazy, feral, hiding Don't out in the trees. Don't have like a space needle or something out there? We do. See? If you, if you stand at the right. top of the Space Needle, I'm about 35 miles southeast of you out in the mountains. Cool. Yeah. I moved uh, out here. Does it have snow? Going. Never going back. Um, Do you have snow? Because that's a, that's a hard one for me. I don't like the White Death. Not presently. About three weeks ago, we got 22 inches of snow over a two-day period, and it lasted for about two weeks before it melted. But it's mm-hmm. nice today. <laughs> okay, I can maybe live with that if it's like a blue moon kind of situation. No, it's an annual, mm. but it's it's an a here and gone. Okay. Be prepared to be. That's like a blue moon situation because JR's brain doesn't work long enough for him to remember the previous. Have you seen that movie Fifty First Dates? That's like me. I just forget everything. Um, Except you don't get so- fifty dates. Doc, why do you kind of keep picking on me like this? Damn. All right. So, uh, any relation to James Ward? Not that I'm aware of, but he's a really cool guy, and I got him to sign my copy of Deities and Demigods last year. Nice. An original nice. first edition. And he said, anybody wants it nice. signed, mail it. So I did, which was all sorts of awesome. Yeah. Did you we like probably are because be all so- the wards are related. I'd almost be afraid of the post office losing it, and I would have had to like insure it doubly in case they did. Eh. That's... I don't know what I'll do with it, but it's worth a lot more because it's signed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. And this will be another podcast since Doc has taken over scheduling where she said, be here or be square. And here I be. It is not. It is not. This is when Mel said, hey, guys, you need to talk to this person because he's amazing. And I can fool you. But let's be fair. The chain of custody was Mel told you and you told me. So my statement still is true. I was told there was some blackmail involved, though, so I'm not sure who was doing who. Oh, Mel was doing my feet. <laughs> All Mel right, so uh, there went that family-friendly rating, and let's <laughs> dive off the deep end. Massaging feet is not unfamily-friendly. Mm-hmm. All right, Doc, move on and ask your favorite question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pineapple belongs on pizza, right? Yeah, actually. I will concede that if you concern, concede that Pern is fantasy. 
JR, genetic engineering. Now shut up and you don't know anything. So religion, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? So when I was a kid, I lived in Salina, Kansas, and this was before cable. So we had Star Trek and the reruns in the mid-70s. And so I actually got to watch it in those days. But Star Wars was life-changing because we did that for my eighth birthday party. Ooh. And it was just that. So I'm kind of even odd with those because they're so different. I can get that. So fantasy-wise, maybe that might be a little bit more clear-cut for you. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of Time? So the first one and the third one bored me to tears. Lord of the Rings I've watched, but I can't read. I grew up reading Howard and a bunch of those fantasy weirdos from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Okay. So the Conan books were actually what my fantasy introduction was. But the ones that were edited by Sprague de Comp and all of those, that edition in the 70s. Yeah, they, you know, they're working on bringing up some expanded universe of Conan. Cool. Yeah. I mean, besides the stuff Robert Jordan did in the 80s? Yes. No, like some new stuff. Cool. I know the editor who's uh, trying to build that out. Awesome. Really nice guy. Is it all public domain now? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. Sorry. It, I thought it went public domain, but then it sounded like when he was talking about it, because I've read some of his posts when when doc shared it it sounded like maybe he bought the rights right before to to the franchise to do more well uh, it's, it's unclear if it's private domain it'll stay private domain probably for another 10 or 15 years public domain is anything published before 1924 i think okay yeah it sounded like he had exclusive rights so cool you know if, if you're listening dear listener and you know the details post it in the comments and uh and we'll happily read them yeah i'd like to know that one myself so so all right um, doc next question is mine stop stealing it's green. so what was your first number seven is not green you don't have an updated document jeez i don't have an updated document my number six is next oh you didn't ask six that's why i don't count oops <laughs> You're so brain damaged. Have gun, will travel. Pew, pew. <laughs> so which one was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Fantasy was my first love, but I really shifted over to sci-fi in my mid-teens and ran with it from there. So like I said, Conan, but after that, in the 80s, I got into some really old stuff. Uh, Doc so Smith, did you um, a new lensman. Ooh, yeah. Did you ever read any of the Choose Your Own Adventure uh, sci-fi books and fantasy books that were out them. there back in the Lived 80s? on them. I'm a kid okay, of the Did you cheat and look ahead? Did you nah, cheat and look more ahead fun. like I did? Or... Oh. <laughs> Doc, when you read them, did you cheat? I did not cheat. I did, however, take a pad of paper and do every single permutation. Okay, that's way more nerdy than I ever got. Yeah. This is why everybody loves Doc. She's mm -hmm. super nerd. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I thought it was my stellar personality and my good taste in booze. That too. Those are also nerdy qualities that we enjoy. Uh, <laughs> one of these days, you're going to have to make a recommendation of a uh, of a good mead for me because I'm going to try it one of these days. Viking Alchemist Meadery. Um, Bliss is my you know, favorite. We mention them often enough. If you listen, dear uh, PR representative for Alchemy Meadery, you really should consider Viking sponsoring Alchemy us. And just give us the, where. 
Where are they at? We have a whole bunch of meteries in Seattle. They're here in Atlanta. They're all veteran owned. Um, cool. And um, it's really awesome and amazing. So, or yeah, basically all veteran What? I'm just saying, if we're going to shill for them so much, we should at least get free booze out of it. I, I'd Absolutely. be happy to get in booze. I get a 15% I mean, I've got discount standard, when I standard. go. Sweet. Because I'm a That's vet. Something. That's something. Awesome. I'll take that. So what's your I'm, first memory of engaging in – go ahead. No, I was just going to say I make meat occasionally, but there's so much good stuff around here that I haven't gotten them to all of them in Seattle. I tried one, and it was tasted like a, a really dry wine, and I'm not a huge wine fan, so you it just wasn't for me, but I'm told they're – well. That's what I, Doc said, that I should try around. Much like finding the right beer, you got to find the right mead. So, but uh, that is a, a – maybe we should almost start the, the booze podcast to go with the Blasters and Blades. We can call it Blasters and Blades and Booze, the After Dark Edition. Um, and that's just an excuse to write off our booze consumption as a tax deduction. Bring it back <laughs> to that. I just own my still. I really want to still, so, and I keep getting told no. Yeah. No, I want a still. I wonder how much room. You don't know how to use a still, so, Jerry. Look, I barely made it through chemistry, but I think that qualifies me as an expert. So, and no. I watched a season of Breaking Bad. That's another one in my no. So, what, <laughs> what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it watching uh, Star Trek? Was it uh, reading Conan, or was there some other venue for, of which it led you to? It was watching things? Star Trek, and then Star Wars came out, and there was a whole bunch of sci-fi in the late 70s. Plus, I had an uncle who loved me and got me subscriptions to a whole bunch of comic books. So every month, I would have something come in a little plain brown wrapper, and I still have a bunch of those. You guys are silly. We actually have, it had been suggested to us that when we were still the sci-fi shenanigans that we could do uh, episodes going over some of those old magazines because some other of our guests have uh, have their collection as well. But that didn't really lend itself mm -hmm. to audio-only platform, unfortunately. So maybe that's something yep. to reconsider Good now day. that we've got, got the video. So, all right. So what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love? I tell people this when I'm writing science fiction because I like writing space opera, big stuff. I can't be wrong. I can be inconsistent with my details, but I cannot be wrong when I'm making stuff up. Write it all down and make sure you don't stay it wrong the second time. All the details are right, but I can't be wrong. So I can. Doc tells me I'm wrong all the time. Well, I can't help you with those two. <laughs> Maybe you need to write more, Jr. You wound me. So, how did your love? I'm trying not to die laughing. <laughs> Often on mute. How did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you writing stories in this space? Um, when I married my second wife, she was already a writer, Leah Cutter. She had done Paper Mage and several other books out of New York. 20 odd years ago. And she said, you know, you could make money writing this stuff. So I started with a bunch of kind of sword and sorcery fantasy stuff because I took old D&D &D campaigns because I've been playing D&D &D for 40 years now and did those. And then one day I said, you know, 
fantasy's fun, but I want spaceships. Spaceships. And then something accidentally weird happened, and the Amazon machine looked at me and said, I'm going to make you famous for 90 days. <laughs> nice. And put me in the top 10 of the space opera category for about a week. Nice. Mind-boggling nice. for a young writer. I mean, I don't, I don't have any of that, but I, I was big in Australia for a month. Cool. So I got that going for me. They love you in penal colonies. Right. <laughs> you kind of walked into that, right, so maybe... Hey, you should well, come down to the south. Georgia used to be a penal colony. You'd be popular. All right. So. <laughs> Many authors let their own real-life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Um, lots, but I've had to leave out a lot of the interesting details because some of the crazy stuff that I did in the 80s and 90s, the statute of limitations hasn't worn out yet. Oh, my. Uh, the best one, when I was in grad school for political science, I worked nights and weekends as a bouncer at a cowboy bar outside of a marine base in Riverside, California for several years. Nice. Oh, my goodness. It, Always fun. It was an interesting experience because I'm not a big guy. I'm only 5'10". Well, you do have uh, the leg up on them when they're drunk, but it also means they don't feel any pain. Well, worse, they're used to being drunk and they're used to fighting when they're drunk and I have to calm them down and get them out the door before they hurt anybody, like me. Yeah, I, plus, I, so I don't know. Hmm? You get to ask your favoritest questions, the nerdy fandom questions. So are you ready to dive in? Are you sure? I'm okay. positive. You're something. <laughs> So have you had anybody do any cool fan art or cosplay of one of your characters yet? I have not because I've not been lucky enough. But what I did do was back when the science officer hit and the Jessica Keller Chronicles hit, I actually commissioned a, an artist to do a whole set of color plates. And oh, I neat. published them as a book called Uniforms of the Fleet Volume 1 Ooh. because I wanted somebody to do it. And nice. that is... There is a guy out there who has threatened to do action figures for me Ooh. based on these uniforms. Nice. The problem is they cost about a hundred bucks a piece unless you're doing them in scales of 10 and hundred thousand units. Yeah. And I just haven't worked up yeah, the gumption yet. So, but the running joke is he would do an action figure of himself. Hey, um, you know, how big is your garage? I'm just, uh, you know, you gotta have a give it a barn. few years, you'll get the con circuit. See, you that got might a barn. be big enough. Just as long so. as you don't need it to do barn things, so you can store the action figures. Claire, do you even know what barn things are? Yeah, like moo cows and stuff, you know. Them, them stable things, and I am never mucking out stables again. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I've ridden a camel once. That qualifies me as a as a cowboy, right? No. Sure, we'll go with that. Have you? So, has anybody <laughs> ever asked for your autograph? <laughs> Not yours, Jr. That was for your commitment papers. Uh, actually, yeah. Um, 
at the time, I didn't appreciate who he was until later, but I was at Worldcon in Kansas City, and this would have been 2015, I think. I'm not sure, 15 or 16. And a guy walked up and knew my wife and asked Aww. for one of my books because she told him I was a writer, and he bought it right there and asked me to sign it and later turned out to be Tom Whitmore. Who wow. Is, yeah, kind of one of the smoths of science fiction on the West Coast. And she's like, do you know who that is? I'm like, no. And she explained, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he and his wife have actually gotten to be pretty good friends. I see him occasionally. That's awesome. Yeah. When you're not chasing off elk. I, I go into Seattle every six months or so. See? For provisions and vittles and such. Yeah. See, Doc, I could totally be a cowboy. <laughs> no. No, you can't. I'm just waiting for a horse to bite him. That's why he has a, doesn't have a picture because his for, oh, horse already did. Well, Mr. Ed and I just had a little bit of a misunderstding. All right. Yes, you talked. He wanted you to shut up. <laughs> All so right. So, was that the, first... the next question? Okay. So, was that the first time somebody asked you to sign a, a book? Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what is the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you started writing? So when I write space opera, I write military and they tend to be these huge cast lists. And I mean, huge because like dozens and maybe a hundred names. And I used to play a board game called Starfleet Battles in the early eighties. And one day I picked out a name from this old game that was their Jim Kirk analog named Phil Cosnett. And it was just a great name. And I plugged him in and I made him a captain of one of my ships. Later, I come to find out that the guys who created the game used the name of a buddy of theirs who reached out to me. And in November, he retired from a career in the Foreign Service Office where he was the ambassador to Kosovo. So oh, wow. I was writing fan fiction about the U.S. ambassador to Kosovo. And he's the one that wants to get action figures of himself made. Well, you know, ah. I kind of get that. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those, I'm like, wait, I did what? Okay, sure. And he's a really fantastically nice guy. His wife, however, is jealous and she demanded that I write a series about her next. So there will be an Allison series in a couple of years. Hey, you do what you got to do, man. Keep the wives mm -hmm. happy. Otherwise, they might give you food poisoning, which is why JR is not allowed to cook. Oops. Look, it only happened one time and only six people went to the hospital. I called that a win in the law. JR, one right? day you can graduate into wife status, but you right now you suck at it. Look, I, I got to get my apron and pearls eventually. All right. So this is where we uh, change the subject with my Bond Force segue. And we talk about everything Blaze Ward has written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest of your uh, body of work? Um, sometime in the first week in February, I will finish novel number 77. And nice. I have about 200 total titles, if I were to publish all of them. Science Officer is the entry point to Alexandria Station, which is about 40 titles, most of them novels or novellas. But I'm a full-time professional, and I write 4,000 words a day every day. So are you traditionally publishing these, or are you publishing them yourself? 
Full indie. The the running joke is so I have never had a professional yet? sale. Um, so, because if I write a six book series and I've only got three of them done, I want to get them the rest of them done before I start putting them out. Ah, okay. A novel is so defined by the to... Hugos as anything longer than 40,000 words. And I usually write so about 120,000 to... words a month. So a novel a month would be by modern standards. Okay. That's, that's kind of slacking. I'll get there. I've been doing about 15 or so a year. That sounds exhausting. Okay, I'm not jealous at all. So, uh, do, you, do you? I'm a professional. That's what I do. Do you write it the old-fashioned way, uh, like um, Marco Clusis said he does, by pen and a notebook? Do you write it with a stylus on a special pad? Type it, audio. How do you? How do you get it down? Type. Get up in the morning, fix myself breakfast, surf the news, and then from eight till about eleven, I write four thousand words. Okay. You get up early. When I grow up, Doc, I'll get there. You're never growing up. So I used to be a data architect in Seattle, so I'd get up at four in the morning. So sleep until six thirty feels decadent. Fair. I used to wake up before the sun when I was in the army, and then I said, I'm a civilian now. Fort Couch doesn't require that, and I'm done. So all of that sounds fascinating, but today we're here to talk about Science Officer. So Ooh. where did you get the premise for this universe? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulging in mead from the uh, West Coast meaderies? Actually, I'm a redneck. And when I was first working, I was trying to figure out hydroponics on a spaceship. And that took me to a character who was growing fruits and vegetables on a ship in space just because he could. And then from there, it kind of spawned outwards because the main character, the science officer, Javier, was alone on his little scout and he got captured by pirates and then fast-talked his way onto the crew. And from there, the shenanigans ensued and we're on book 11 now. <laughs> I know someone else who wrote a similar book one, but then the army required him to go do things and he hasn't finished. Book I'm sorry. Two. So that is a, it's a fun premise. It is. Um, uh, the captured by pirates and forced to become a pirate or not and sabotage from within. So, no, he actually sweet talked his the, way aboard. So did you go with, uh, and obviously no spoilers, did you go with the uh, Disney version of pirates are really just misunderstood good guys looking at you, Nickelodeon and Disney, or did you take the uh, true piracy where they were scallywags and ne'er-do-wells? The way the reason he talked himself onto the crew is because they were going to sell him to an agricultural colony somewhere as a mining slave. Yeah, that might suck. And that it goes suck. in some dark places in the first four or five books. So, in other words, this is not fluffy Disney style pirates. No, no, but all right. The so, evil characters are not really crew members, they're all outsiders, and they get theirs in the end. So he's but got the, the unofficial they, model of nobody promise you a happy ending. <laughs> um, the actual tagline for the series is Javier will survive the pirates. Will they survive him? <laughs> Ooh, I like that. We, we say that about Doc when she cooks in the kitchen. But hey. uh, before we dig in, yes. We always survive my cooking. It's your cooking that's dangerous. We'll see. So uh, before we dig in, can we take a moment? I'm going to share this glorious cover. 
And can you tell us uh, how you came up with this uh, with this color scheme that you used? And because most of the time you go with darker colors, and you went with sort of a tan. I think I'm colorblind, but it looks tan to me. So one of the interesting things about science fiction and especially space opera is that most people have been doing covers that are sepia or grimdark in their color schemes grays down to blacks or tans down to blacks if you look at my covers they are extremely colorful and that's on purpose because they stand out that science officer cover when you bring it down to thumbnail is like ooh, what's that what's that and so that's really it's it's marketing and branding i loved that picture but the old running joke is slap a spaceship on the cover and people will buy it because they know what it is well, the uh, the running joke in indie circles was that everybody likes the sexy spaceship ass. And I noticed mm -hmm. you went for the front of the spaceship and the back. Mm -hmm. So you got a little bit of both. Actually, so that's the front of both ships, dedicated. I think. I think that's okay, the front of both ships, and but it's like you got the underbelly shot, too. Yeah, there's some underboob going. Oh, you're right. That is the front. Okay. Some, some underboob. All right. <laughs> so I, I do like I do like that you have a lot of layers you got at the top, you've got the sort of the planet behind or above them. Um, and then you got the sunset. And I'm guessing that's water that the uh, the other one's going. Mm -hmm. And I like the um, the look of the battered like Space Hulk. Every time I see this brand new shiny spaceship, I just keep thinking, you know, when you've got micrometeorites and such, it's not going to stay pretty looking for long. No, so if you want me to believe ship. this is a season like ship, they are. you want Oh, she does love me. If you want me to believe that it's a seasoned ship with a seasoned crew, you can't make it look like it just came off the production line. No. So I, I do like the cover. So did you do it yourself since you were uh, no, um, no, no, no. My so, wife so amazingly is, artistically inclined? My wife is a fantastic graphic artist. I work for her. She's actually the boss around here. I refer to her as fabulous publisher, babe. That works. Only not to sleep on a couch. <laughs> All right. Definitely so, what his books I, I do about. enjoy. The... Well, I mean, if he's writing that much a day, I'd imagine they're not past due very often. I miss John. Uh, Doc. What? She said she, you call her that. She said you call her the fabulous publisher, babe, when your books are late. And I said, it's no. 4,000 words a day. I don't imagine he's late very often. Yeah, that's what I call her all the time. So. She's kind of awesome. See, there you go, Doc. No, I was more saying he he always gets his books on time so he doesn't have to sleep on the couch. See? I understood. That's that's one way to backpedal, Doc, but we know what you really meant. So instead, <laughs> let's ask him the next question, will you? Jeez, back so, to task, woman. What is your 30-second elevator pitch for this novel? They captured his ship, cut it up, and he had to hide the AI who lives aboard until he could find a new place for her to go live. Until then, he has to live with the pirates until he can escape them. So what is it that really makes your series special in the way of um, science fiction? He's all, about, he's all about the science. Javier is a botanist and he raises chickens or did when he had a ship, they cut out the botany pay and put it on the big ship and he still raises chickens and fruits and vegetables and things like that. And so there's a very scientific approach to it. The pirates are bad, but they're poor. They're not evil people. They're just trying to make ends meet. 
And so it's really rich in personalities because I've got a dozen strong characters floating around, all being heroes in their own story. Even the 2.1 meter tall Amazon security chief who likes to bounce Javier off of bulkheads when he gets mouthy. Hmm. There's knit, for me to do that. Uh, so, she knits in her spare so that time. Is six, so six foot eight inches. Like... Yeah, at one point Javier looks over right and that he looks over and sees her knitting something, and in his mind it looks like the carcass she skinned off of her next victim. Oh, I love this character already. Jamila so, so is the is the Amazon uh, an alien then? No. No, she's actually German and she's six foot eight. And that's just really nails. Is so this I'm, one of those situations where being like the belt? I feel like I know her already. Is it like being that? in the low gravity of space made them taller? Is that what's going on? No. no. JR, no. there are people that tall now. So I know they are foot, not. Those are myths. Five foot tall, five foot ten, and the tallest woman I ever dated was six five. And it was like climbing a tree. (laughs) They're like birds. The tall women don't exist. Don't go there. Sure. They're like birds. They're not real. Uh Uh They are? (laughs) Shut up. You're wrong. All right. Send send the hate mail to Suscad Blasters and Blades podcast. Yeah, don't blame me for this. I'm just an innocent bystander. You know, somebody may one day actually email that podcast, that address, thinking it's real. Your webmaster will appreciate giving uh, it. I will blame you, and we will just move on. <laughs> All right, Doc, ask him the next question. Tropalicious time. So what tropes do you think science officer really hits best, and which ones do you think it kind of turns on its side and has fun with? It turns redemption on its side because by the end of book eight, I redeem almost all of the pirates. Okay. You get, you get to know them as people, and it turns out to be all of them against even worse people out there. Um, the trope it turns on its head is the science half of science fiction. Way too much science fiction is all about blasters and car chases and never about sitting in space and mapping asteroids and planets quietly or going to new places and cross-breeding new gooseberry strains actually is a thread in two plots. Nice. Because he wants I mean, to All I know fix about it. science, but do you get to dive, uh, what do you get, invert the polarity of the dilithium crystals? Because No, uh, that's what the AI is for. Her name's Subi. She's awesome. Okay. Because Doc loves it when you inv- invert the polarity. I'm going to invert your head one day. <laughs> so it's fun right, and it's fast question. and it's interesting. Wonderful. So what subgenres do you feel this fits into really for those who are oh so into the subgenres of the subgenres? Small space opera, a lot of uh, galactic exploration, um, if you strip out all the science fiction parts, it's just a cracking good action story. My brother-in-law bitches that he sits down to read one more chapter and it's suddenly two o'clock in the morning. I do that to him a lot. <laughs> That's always a plus. My, so my goal is those entertaining. People, so for those who are less than scientifically inclined, 
Like Jair. How much how much science do you throw in there? I mean, is it readable for the layman? Oh, absolutely. My uh, when I started writing these, my grandson was 14 and he was my target audience. Granted, he's now a junior at the Colorado School of Mines, really smart kid, but I know somebody who went Mines? there on their football team. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, like he was Mines, really like cool. the guys yeah. are no, engineering. M-I-N-E. It's a super engineering school. Yeah. Yeah. No. He was uh Mines are cool too. I'm not not throwing shade. No, he, he was one of their he was really cool for him because he went from being second string at KSU on uh, the football team to being first string at Colorado School of the Mind. And they were they were awesome. They found enough scholarship money that he was able to move out there. So yeah, yeah they they really, All right. really so, they kept going with school. It's a really good school. So before, are, you'll never even be able to enter the door. I mean, now I'm many janitors. I mop a, I, I took I took mopping at my uh, 88 kilo. MOS. So I'll have you know I can swab a mean deck. All right. So before we uh, before we dive into the book itself, more than we already have, and mock Seska more than I normally do, we're going to take a moment where we shamelessly show for the show man. For me. Please stick with us. No, you're not the man. You're no, Seska. We for the woman. The Terran Empire is dead. Long live the Empire. Commander Jared Mertz, the bastard son of the Emperor, and his half-sister, Princess Kelsey, barely speak to one another. To their dismay, their father seizes an opportunity to change that and sends them on a dangerous quest to explore the fallen Empire. Separated from home by an impassable gulf and struggling to redefine their relationship, they find themselves thrust into a vicious war. Unless they work together to stop the Empire's deadly legacy, billions face a horrific fate. Empire of Bones, written by Terry Mixon, now available at Amazon.com. All right, well, after a, a, about an hour, we had to pause the show for Doc to like try to get this weird idea that she's the boss out of her head. There's a lot of catfighting going on, mostly with her against her ego. It's okay, we, we settled everything. She admitted the supremacy of JR, but now we are back from that commercial interlude. And we're, we're just going to move this stuff all day long. JR is wrong. <laughs> We are going to talk to Mr. Blaze Ward about his story itself. So what can you tell us about the main character? What makes him unique in the crowd of, crowd of science fiction literature? He's broken and flawed, but not a bad guy. And he can do math. Blew up his career, blew up two marriages, and is living by himself, recovering from PTSD, but it never gets him down. He is always out there exploring, and when they capture him, he basically has to repair himself and you get to watch him put himself back together. And it is an emotional journey in the science fiction, but it is a people journey. It is a found family story. Okay. So do we get, um, how much of airtime does this AI get? So she is there on the first ship. And then when he rips out the chips and hides them, he stuffs them in a little, flying survey drone where she is constantly bitching that there's hardly any space to think it doesn't do much of anything 
And he has a remote control unit for it that doesn't actually do anything. But when he pushes buttons, according to her, it'll play music on her dashboard in her little room that she lives in. And so she lives inside that little drone for several books being silly. She composes music and at one point is playing a four-armed piano in a pink polar bear suit because she's an AI and she can do any damn thing she wants to. The only limits are her imagination. And she actually turns into the entire narrator for the Alexandria Station universe because she comes back in the Jessica Keller books 6,000 years later. Ooh, nice. And I'll write another so, series set 2,000 years in the future from that where she comes back again. I have all those notes. And she's a goofball. I like her. The best ones are. So were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable for you besides the AI? Um, and if so, could you tell us um, about them? So you've got the 2.1 meter tall security chief, Jamila. She knits and does inverted handstand push-ups because she's like that. You've got the pixie polar bear engineer. You've got the guy who is Javier's minder and sidekick, and you watch him grow up over the whole course of the series. Suvi, who's there forever. Javier, it's just, it's a big thing. There's lots of rich characters and they all get their moment in the sun. The running joke is they all get their, uh, my brain has just stopped working. They're uh, actor's cards. Okay. They're, act they're actor's guild cards because they come on and they command Sad a card. and they're in charge. Sag card, thank you. They all get okay. a storyline to themselves at some point. It might only be a couple pages, but you get to see their background their personality, their development. For me, that's the fun of science fiction, these characters that grow over time. That's the fun of any fiction. But you would um, be amazed. So a lot of people don't do it. James Bond never changes, ever. I don't know. I heard James Bond, maybe Henry Cavill. That would be amazing. That would be fun. So does your, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the, the pirates weren't really the bad guys, although they sometimes did bad things, and that the bad guys were external to the ship. So can you tell us a little bit about the bad guys without giving any spoilers? Um, the bad guy in book one is something of a religious fanatic who's been marooned on this planet for a long time and has issues with the crew when they show up and a big fight. Uh, there's a villain in book three who is the former first officer of the ship, and he's gone completely evil, kidnaps the Amazon and is torturing her, and Javier has to go rescue her. Aww. Because the line that, that she uses in book six is, nobody gets to kill me but Javier. And it is an ongoing sibling rivalry for eight books over who's going to kill the other one first. I understand this. So foreplay, basically. Okay. Kind of. If foreplay involves concussions and black eyes. It does for JR. I don't, don't want to know these things. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Not kink shaming, but you know, uh, I don't want to be an accessory here. <laughs> Doc, what am I going to do with you? You just put too much stuff out there. All right. Save me by, by moving this story along. Um. So this one time, I kept no, I'm kidding. I can't play an instrument. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so after talking about your characters, if they ever met you in a back alley, how do you think you'd fare after everything you put them through? Most of them are tougher than I am, but I don't think they'd hate me all that much. So you think you'd survive the encounter? As long as Jamila wasn't trying to kill me. Well, see, there you go. Um, so do you have a favorite character archetype, that, especially one that you used for this series? For this series, Javier is smart, but he's not an action hero. Okay. And that's the fun part about it. He's He does smart things, and he's a fast-talking, fast-thinking con artist, but he's not James Bond. He's not big, bad, shoot -em up type. Uh, if I do have an archetype, it's the incredibly strong woman who is capable of shooting a gun and punching your lights out. I realize that I use that archetype in a lot of places, but because it's mostly, an amazing one, it's a fan service because I've done the research and my fan base is actually a little heavier female than male, which is weird. That's because in, you have Jamila, yeah, but in space opera science fiction, it's much more of a male dominated fandom yeah i've gone to those meetups they're normally pretty sausage heavy but yep. speaking of sausages haha -ha, um how can you give us any were there any things that you made sorry i'm tired so i'm messing up this wonderful segue i had from sausage to sausage um so but a sneak peek into how the sausage was made did you have fun write any cool scenes that you ended up having to cut in uh Kind of like I wish we could cut all of my blundering now. No, actually, the 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 way I write, I learned early on to write really clean first drafts. And so okay. when I hit the end of my first draft of the book, it's ninety eight percent of what'll get published. I'll read it. I'll send it to my wife, who's my first reader. She'll fix a few things. I'll send it for a copy edit. She'll fix a few things, and then I publish it. Nice. And that's one of the things that lets me write fast and publish a novel every month is that it's clean. But I also, I trust myself to write good story. So I don't meander off with, oh, I shouldn't have written those 20,000 words. That doesn't make any sense. I, I'll go into it knowing, okay, this, this is what this is doing and we go. So I like what I write and it works for me. But I do all my sausage making what you write world is building. Sorry. Doc, um, we'll, we'll work on those segues huh? as part of your better podcasting for 2022. But uh, in the meantime, I'll give that a D minus. You could do better. Hey, JR. Yeah? Don't go to sleep tonight. <laughs> Oh, that's a good thing you're several states away. So uh, finally, what can you tell us about the universe itself? Uh, in many series, the world where the the story is told is as much of a character as the protagonist and antagonist. So can you give us a hint about the, the world of the science officer? So there are 11 books in the science officer series. There are, and I mentioned this earlier, skip forward to Jessica Keller 4,000 years later. There's about 16 books set in that timeline. There are about 40 books set in the whole Alexandria Station universe, and Suvi ties them all together, the AI, because she's in many of them. We see her as a pirate babe. We see her outliving everybody and living on a planet where she gets rescued by some salvagers. 
we see her rebuilding the universe and we see her show up in a new android body she had built. So it's incredibly rich. And I have a timeline spreadsheet that starts in 1934 with the birth of Yuri Gagarin and goes up to the year 15006. And that's how I keep my continuity. Science officer was born in about 6,600. Jessica is born in about 13,000. So, so this uh, AI is how Skynet is born, it sounds like? Possibly, if Skynet was a goofball who composed and liked to fly with we the red bearing music in the background. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like to fly that way? Absolutely. So, why red baron? Was there was that some sort of inspiration for you or just random it's the snoopy music because she's an ai she's got this immense impossibly deep database of old historical references and jokes that nobody else gets and so she can mine all of history for music i've actually had to invent musical trends in the 45th and 54th centuries just to give her something to talk about because one of the other characters writes symphonies in his spare time. So do you have a music background as well? Uh, I'm a polymath that way. I did vocal music a long time ago, but I've listened to just about everything. Okay. The CDs in my car right now are Willie Nelson, The Great Divide, uh, Peter Boyer's American Classics, and The Queen Symphony by Tolga Kashev. Does that help? Some variety there. Eclectic. Yeah. Anti-stodgy. Okay, that works. Forever learning new things. Anti-stodgy. That's okay. So the science officer is clearly part of a series. I know because you just told us there are 11 books in this series. Mm -hmm. uh, but is the story of the science officer done after 11? You mentioned that the AI comes back thousands of years down the road. But what about the story of the, the lovable science officer? So the first eight books are a single arc of time. Nine is a bridge and 10 starts what I call season two. And I'm planning to write eight novels for season two over the next several years. At that point, I don't know whether I'll bring it to an end or keep going. It depends on how people like him. He's my most Always popular series and most popular character. But I want to keep him fresh and interesting and having fun. And he's also aging because he's in his mid-40s now. And at some point, you have to stop being an action hero. Or really? Come up because with it seems to work for Neo. He's, that's, yeah, or, that's Keanu Reeves. I mean, dude, he's like yeah. Dolly Parton that way. So shh, don't say it too loud. After Betty White, I'm a little nervous. Okay, yep. I was to say, there are some authors who have made uh, careers out of one character that just lives forever. So yeah, I mean, it can no. be done. Just create some. Yeah, but I got other things I want to explore. One of the things about science fiction is I have a matrix that says, is your stuff Earth-centered or not Earth-centered? And does it have aliens or not have aliens? The science of the universe aliens? has no aliens other than the AIs. So okay. I'm working on a series right now where there's lots of aliens, all sorts of weird aliens, fun aliens, because, you know, alien. 
Okay. So with we all know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules for science, technology, and or magic. Uh, so what sort of tech or magic could we expect from these books besides AIs? Um, we are deep in the future, and I postulate that it's possible to hyperspace through various means to get to other planets, which, according to uh, Neil Clark, makes this pure fantasy because you can't do that. He, he considers anything with FTL not to be science fiction anymore. Well, he's not the go-to person. No, and I, I'm with you on that. But uh, it, I don't focus on the tech so much as hand wave a lot of it into place and say, you know, we can get there and we can do these things. This is a story about people. And they're solving a problem and they're dealing with other people that they don't like. Yeah, you can get too Oops. far into the tech. And some people love that. But if I wanted to read technical manuals, well, I would. And there's a, that's some a people category can get very sometimes referred to as gun porn. Yeah, guns I'm okay with. Yeah, but I don't write gun porn in my science fiction. If I'm going to write gun porn, it's going to be an action piece because I actually know guns, but I don't want to go that deep into the details. That I kind of get totally. So, do you actually? So, we'll we'll pause on the gun porn for a second because you know I do like some gun porn. Do you have blasters or projectile chemical projectiles for weapons? Uh, Both, primarily blasters. Uh, the technology of my space battles, I ripped straight out of Starfleet battles. If you play the game, you'll recognize almost everything with new names. Because, you know, file off the serial numbers. So when you plan out those battles, do you do you just sort of describe the chaos and move on so you don't have to get too granular? Or do you start thinking actual strategy and I don't know, moving chess pieces around the board? How do you like um, your combat scenes then? At the high level... The Jessica books, the Javier is just space piracy. So it's, <laughs> did we say enough or did you need more? Uh, you need more, Doc? <laughs> All right. This is not Larry Korea level approved for, for gun porn. We no. need a few more. Um, this the, the, the science officer books, there's only a couple of space battles because it generally takes place on the surface of a planet or on a derelict ship with an exploration. So it's more Star Trek-y that way. The Jessica Keller books, there's a lot of space battles, and I have to plot those out, but I plot them out at a fairly high level. And then you blow shit up and go on. Do you write That's waves always a of fun missiles? Way to do it. Was that Doc? Pods? Do you write waves of missiles? Yes. Sometimes. Yay. So of all the tech in your universe, which one would you want to have for daily use? I think the ability to travel through the hyperspace and visit all these new planets would be fun. So how would you how would you abuse that? Oh shit, you'd never find me again. (laughs) Uh the the science officer books start off. Uh, three-eighths of the way around the galactic disk from Earth. I've actually got a rough map, and we're clear the hell over there. Because season two, they start coming back this direction to set up trade paths and have adventures, but the Altai sector is way the hell over there. I'd like to go way the hell over there and see what it's like. So because I'm a nerd, what do you use for your maps? Do you just have a general idea because you've looked at some of the charts from, from NASA? Or do you have a 
3D mapping program you use for this? How do you map this galaxy? Um, I have this really cool painting with this dot down in one corner that says, you are here. And it is our galaxy with Earth way the hell over there. And so when I'm talking about astrogation, it's frequently this arm, that arm. So Sagittarius or Orion arms that you're traveling across in or out. Uh, traveling to the quote unquote edge of the galaxy and looking out at the eternal darkness is a thread in the Petron books because this guy grew up on literally the last inhabited planet. And at night in the winter, it's just darkness because there's no stars. There's no galaxy. There's no Milky Way. That sounds very depressing. It can be. So when you go about creating, because you did mention that your future series will have aliens in them. Uh, how do you come up with your ideas for these aliens? Do you let your nightmares inspire you? Do you draw from nature? You make something up completely out of whole cloth? How do you, how do you come up with these, these aliens? For the Lazarus books, it's a seven book series that came out this time last year. I sat down and tried to figure out every style of locomotion I could come up with. So one of the characters is a glider squirrel. <laughs> one of the characters, Gesundheit. A Vita Zane? I don't know. What one of the characters is a biped from the belly button up and a snake from the belly button down. One of them is a Tunisian rolling spider. Um, one of them is a description taken straight out of the Bible, the wheels of Ezekiel, which is a disc four feet tall, two feet wide. It looks like a, 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 a rim for your tire filled in with six eyes and six mouths around it. And that's straight out of Ezekiel one. And they rule. So does this book. Does this book have uh, religious undertones then, or just happen to be a unique place to grab a character description? It was a unique place, but one of the running jokes was the human character is talking to this wheelman, and he says, we have this in our religion, and the wheelman's like, hmm, next time I ask the elders, I'll see if any of us visited your planet in the distant past. And it's just left <laughs> dangling out there with, wow, maybe those were the aliens that came down. So so right up there with the three seashells, you never give us answers. No, and that's the fun part. I don't have to. I can just leave threads dangling out there. I, I had a former coworker who was one of my fans who that drove him crazy because he would he would sit there and go, well, what about? And then he would wander off in these rabbit hole segues for hours thinking about, well, maybe they really did come down. And what would that mean to the Old Testament? That is an interesting, and there are some people that firmly believe, if you watch the History Channel after dark, that aliens did, in fact, visit us, and the pyramids prove it. Sure. Elvis agrees. I was going to say, was that Doc? No, that was the dog. Okay. No. Uh, I mean, sometimes they sound the same when they get going. She's going to kill oh, <laughs> you got totally it. Is, it's okay. Uh, I can probably trip her with my cane and then outrun her. You know what? Uh, so, nice. Elvis is the only one who will sleep with you. That's so harsh. We're going to move on because this is family-friendly yes, show, Doc. So cl yes. Clearly, the interview is winding down. But before we wrap this puppy up and Doc and I murder each other, was there anything <laughs> about the science officer that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us? 
Other than book 11 just came out in December and, and it's been a hit with people. I think people who enjoy character driven science fiction will really enjoy science officer and really enjoy a lot of what I write because that's where I start. The, the science fiction right. and the explosions in space car chases are, are fun, but it's the people. It's, it's normal people put in impossible situations and have to survive. It is not a chosen one so, story because there's nothing I hate more in life than a chosen one story. So you're not a Ray fan. But I love Buffy. So how long is Buffy is awesome. Uh, and she's got a keen fashion sense. So how long is each individual book in the series? Because you, you've mentioned sort of all over the place with numbers. Is there a uniform um, sort of consistency or? Nope. Science officer and mind field, M-I-N-D, not M-I-N-E are both about 24,000 words. Over the first eight, they jump up to about 30,000 words. They're all novellas. Nine is a collection of four short stories, so it's back down to about 20. But starting with 10, they're all novels, 45 to 55,000 words, because it gives me more space to tell a story and go deeper and have a couple of extra character threads and you see other people do stuff. So, what was the thinking when you decided to publish so short? Because the trend in the indie has been progressively longer to the point where they're they're chasing Brandon Sanderson to the Tomeville. I used to write and was trained to write stage plays and screenplays. A one-hour drama on television is actually 42 minutes of screen time plus commercials. Depending mm -hmm. on your story, 40 minutes of screen time works out to be just about 24,000 words. And so when I wrote wow. these, I was literally, see, this is called season one, and it was intended to be a eight episode season one on the BBC of one hour dramas. Okay. Did you end up pitching it to them or did you just publish it anyway? Oh, I just published it. It's We live in the modern age and unfortunately nobody's offering up traditional publishing contracts these days that are worth a damn. If you want to be published, you can, but you're not going to make any money. You're never going to get rid of your day job. I would rather be rich sure. than famous. And I retired to become a full-time writer in February of 2018. And I support myself entirely on my fiction Okay. Speaking of supporting yourself on your fiction, we're going to segue to the audiobook. So, um, are there audiobooks out there for those of us who uh, read with our ears? There are. The first eight of the Science Officer are all available on audio, as well as a couple of other series that I've done. Um, I'm iffy on doing more audiobooks right now because I have a couple of friends who literally say, Hey, Alexa, read the Science Officer to me. And then just listen to Alexa read the text out loud in her voice. And I know people that they don't listen to it at normal speed. They'll run it at 1.75 because they just want the content. They don't want the emotions of the reader. So I'm afraid that in a couple of years, all audiobooks are going to be available as a push a button app on your phone and it's just going to spit it out for you. I Whereas, don't like those, to be honest. I, I don't either, but it costs about $4,000 to turn the science officer into an audiobook. Yeah. 
<laughs> and actually, no, not uh, one thousand, about a thousand dollars a piece for those, and about twenty five hundred a piece for the longer ones. But I just can't afford that because that's an expensive proposition. Science officer, the first four exactly. books are available in German because I'm slowly getting those translated, but that's really expensive. Those, however, sell like hotcakes in Germany, so it's worth it. So are these, um, so there are some audiobooks out there. Are these exclusively, yeah. your your whole series, is it exclusively to Amazon, so it's in the Kindle Unlimited, nope. or are you? you I am wide. You can find me everywhere except Google Play. So that means you're you're on the uh, the shortening of the stick of trusting. So you're on the shortening of the stick when it comes to trusting reporting for audiobook because I've understand there's been some discrepancies on the reporting as well. Uh, Google Play or in so, general? No, no, no. I no, was saying I I didn't even know would never think to look for Google Play for books. They 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 had serious fraud problems five six seven years ago to the point that. They were reporting no sales. I went and bought a copy of my own book and they never reported a sale for it. So wow. I and most of the writers I know took our stuff down from Google Play. You can get back up there through Draft Digital as a writer, but until Larry, Eric, and Sergey are in prison for fraud, I'm not dealing with them again. That but I'm on sense. Kobo, which means Walmart has me. I'm on Amazon. I'm on Barnes & Noble. I'm on Apple. I'm... I'm everywhere. I don't want to limit love to my fan base to KU. Fair. I think that um, makes a lot of sense. CJR, I told you, you don't have to have KU to make money. A lot of people oh, are going can to make the, uh, money. KU. They go to KU first, and then once when the page reads slow up, then they take it completely wide and pull it out, like so the 90-day window or whatever. But mm -hmm. it's um I don't know the economy of the the whole book thing is changing, and if that is something you'd you'd like us to dive deeper in, we can get the guests on for that. But we try to keep this very reader focused. This isn't another how to be an author podcast because, quite frankly, I don't consider myself qualified to teach you that. But if that is something you're interested in, dear listener, shoot us a message in the comment section or whatever. Doc has connections all over the traditional publishing space that, and you know, obviously we know some indie authors. We could get a panel if you would be interested. But it's just, you know, we try to keep this a very fan-focused sort of Oh, absolutely. If, if you want to do something on the writer side, though, reach out to my wife. Because she's been on both sides of that equation. She was trad pub out we'll, of we'll, rock in the old days. We'll, we'll put that on the back burner and we'll let the, uh, the audience weigh in to see what they're interested in. Because obviously if they're not cool. interested, then... Because we've intentionally uh, courted uh, readers as our audience. As opposed to a bunch of other authors. So, and uh, Doc has helped with that because she knows people that read the fantasies, like uh, fantasy stories like Pern and Wheel of Time and, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings, all the good fantasy. So what do you guys consider fantasy? For uh, anything rather, with dragons. Where do you, okay, where do you classify like uh, urban fantasy and contemporary as opposed to sword and sorcery? Or do you call all of those fantasy? Well, they're That's all fantasy. It's like saying, I mean... I personally look at it as science is science fiction is when you put more scientific method into it and you're building a scientific reason for it, even if you're not explaining the science in cool. great detail. And that fantasy and urban fantasy um, 
can all all of those sword and sorcery they're all fantasy they're all just different flavors they're all subgenres within the fantasy category personally cool. so um i am not a big fan of the subgenre obsession that amazon has encouraged um but that's because i read everything in science fiction and fantasy so i'm very happy like that JR wants to everybody have a monogamous relationship with their genres. I am a more genre fluid as a reader. <sighs> Polyamorous. She has problems with monogamy. I, what can we say? I'm pan genre loving. That's okay. There you go. See, I can <laughs> And now that we've we've offended everybody, <laughs> let's, let's Did you guys have any other questions for me? I know you're working from a checklist, <laughs> uh, but were there any ones you wanted to pursue besides gun porn? Uh, I, well, we, we inserted ours as we went if we had uh, had questions. Okay. So what um, you mentioned a little bit that all of your series that you've got planned or have written are all in this universe. Do you have anything outside of this universe for? Oh, no, that that's um, just that you're 40, writing? just 40 in the Alexandria Station universe. I've got eight or 10 other universes with novel series set in them. That have absolutely no connection oh, whatsoever. Yeah, I said okay. novel number One seventy-seven will be done soon. And when did you publish novel novel number one? Uh, novel number two is Oberon, which is the first of the Jessica Keller. The novellas Science Officer and Mindfield were actually my first big science fiction publication, and that would have been. Um, Science Officer came out December of 14 and Minefield was January of 15 or February. Holy crap, you've been cranking along. Okay. So, are you going to do something special when you hit like 100? Yes. <laughs> and, and the target is that that will occur in the winter of 24. So... Well, we'll have, have to find out. Right. Well, awesome. We'll have to have you back for that. So okay. uh, before we <laughs> before we let you go, dear listener, we'd like to remind you that uh, your thoughts matter as well. Um, I'm assuming you're all here because you like reading as much as we do. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. Even a bad review can help sell a book to me. I saw one that said, this reads like JR is a 12-year-old with ADHD writing gun porn. And I'm like, dude, I'd buy that book from JR. So I don't consider, you know, all reviews. This is why he, unless he doesn't realize he is JR. You know, I, my shrink talks to me about this whole personality thing. I just got a few of them. It's okay. Um, so as long as they yeah, they do. They do. It's okay. Your thoughts matter, dear listener. So, you know, share them on there. Uh, it helps if you're constructive. So if you, for, for other readers, if you just say, I don't like this and move on, that doesn't do anything for your fellow reader. If you say why you don't like that, that can help people decide, even if you didn't like it, someone else might. And uh, if you get a book and you review it as, this is not the Jimmy Dean sausage I ordered, Blame Amazon and please don't don't savage the book. It's not their fault. They didn't sell you Jimmy Dean sausage. That happened to an author right now. Really? He got a one wow. star because it, it wasn't Jimmy wow. Dean sausage. Okay. I guess they were really having a craving for that for that beef stick. I don't know. What? Wow. Sounds like an angry pregnant woman. 
I say this, I wasn't a pregnant woman, I would have done something like that. I, and I understand because I have somebody out there who buys every single one of my books at full price so he can give them a one-star review. Why? I can actually tell you where he is in the reading list because a one-star review will pop up. Uh, mostly because he's a sexist pig who thinks women should be barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. And he's desperately offended that I have competent women doing competent things on spaceships and even being in command. That offended the hell out of him. And he's a verified purchaser on all of these? Haha. Uh -huh. It's great. Well, I mean... I, hopefully he, he's not returning them after he gets the verified purchase status to review them. But man, that's some dedication to his... his you know, stalkery. I can, I can almost Absolutely. commend him on his dedication. I love that you have a badass mitt because I did. Hey, remind me. Actually, I sent you a link to download Science Officer if you wanted it. Yes, you did. You should, you should grab it. I, I, want, I will. We'll have, to, we'll have to check it out. If you want more, the rotation. Huh? Go ahead. No, what are you? The science officer is story number one. There's actually an omnibus of one to four and a second omnibus of five to eight that's cheaper if you want to buy them as a group. Okay. We will check that out. We're always looking for books to do. We're going to start doing audio re our book uh, reviews of books and stuff that we read as uh, you're fired, Doc. I'm going to dock your pay. So we'll start doing those as well for you, dear. Right, they are on the docket for... Uh, they are on the docket for 2022. And, Doc, what is the next book we're going to review? Something by Laurel K. Hamilton? Oh, I think it's a terrible following. I know. There you go. So that, so I'll be looking for that one in the near future. But uh, as we wrap this up, because I can ramble ad nauseum and put you all to sleep, Blaze, can you tell us how listeners can find you? Uh, easiest way to find me is blazeward.com. I'm available on all the platforms where you get your books. I'm on Facebook if you want to find me there. Uh, I've got a Patreon if you want to give me money. Most people get to read short stories six months or a year before they get published. Wow. So, Yeah, well, I, I write fast, so I write stuff for them on a regular basis. Okay, and you can find us, dear listener, on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the real email for the podcast at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Most of the time, you're talking to Doc. She's handling all of our booking. Uh, so be kind to her and don't make her cry. Uh, we have the Blasters and Blades Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. We have our website at anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tech and Tech Blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash Blasters dash and dash Blades. Uh, we are working on a, a real proper grown-up website. Doc, have you uh, talked to your, your minions about this yet? Nah, no. Leave me alone. Okay. So we, she's still on her post Dragon Con uh, no. 12 people hangover. My so coworker broke with me for New Year's. I've been a little overworked at work. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, tell him not to do that. That's bad for his health. Well, Jeez. I think uh, it's me noticed. 
I hope so. Let that be a lesson to you. Don't break your knee, people. So uh, if you want to support the show, you can do that on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, where you can support us with a Patreon style model for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on because running a podcast isn't free. You can also support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co host Doc Seska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. And if Nick doesn't show up, I get his share. You get his grog, grog rations if he doesn't show up. Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh, right, wait. Doc, now I'm to do my thing. <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee sober Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley. I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, where we indulge your love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, torturing JR, and all things that go boom. And we've got a new one in the chat uh, that you can't see because it's the private chat for us as we're hosting this podcast. But uh, Blaze brought up a new uh, breakfast pizza creation of waffles and syrup pizza. And we just want you all the way in. I'm I'm kind of ambivalent. I do like the the breakfast food so much that I don't eat it because it's bad for me. But, I mean, I I might be down to try that and, and... take my chances of uh, burning in her- for heresy. What say you, Doc? I'd be willing to try it. What? How do you feel about the dessert pizzas that like CC's has, for instance, where it's basically a giant cookie? I don't go to CC's. It's really good cookie. What? I don't go it's to really CC's. Oh, you're in Atlanta. You probably don't have any foods like that. It's a small town. So, you know, was it 100 people or so in, in Atlanta? Yeah. On that oh, note, dear listener. Science is so bad. Okay. Sure.